you're a veteran or military spouse of an early stage startup or small business, you've come to the right place. Welcome to The Transition, where we demystify the entrepreneur experience for veterans and military spouses who've already made or are looking to make the transition from the military and entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Iron Mike Stedman, the voice of The Bunker. I'm a Marine Corps veteran, social entrepreneur, and member of the Bunker Labs branding team. I figured I'd start off today's episode or this intro with a question. How will you know when you've made it? I think that's a question we should all take a moment to ask ourselves. Is it seeing a certain amount of cash in your bank account, having a certain number of employees, or seeing yourself on the cover of Forbes magazine? Don't act like you haven't dreamed of it, even if it is a vanity metric. At the end of the day, we all want to succeed as entrepreneurs, but it's on us, not anyone else, to determine what success looks like. Along the way, we're going to fail. It's natural and just a part of life, but the key is learning how to fail forward. And that's why on this episode of The Transition, I invited my Bunker Labs colleague, Army veteran, and entrepreneur, Jameson Aveyal, head of product and branding at Bunker Labs and founder of Founder USA, a creative agency who believes that all good things should have their story shared with the world. Jameson knows a bit about failing forward. Prior to joining Bunker Labs and launched his own creative agency, Jameson started another company called Whiskey Grade back in 2014, which was a rebranding of his previous editorial site, Anchor Division. Whiskey Grade was created to put a direct focus on U.S.-made businesses at the time. Jameson wrote stories about upcoming products and brands and implemented an e-commerce shop that was a big hit amongst consumers, even gained the attention of major brands such as Complex Media. Over the course of a few years, Jameson witnessed his editorial site go from a one-man operation that he worked on in between his full-time job as a mechanical engineer and branding expert into a fully-fledged in-person experience with stores in Ohio and LA. By all accounts, he was living the entrepreneurial dream, eventually able to transition to working on Whiskey Grade full-time and on the path to building a nationally recognized brand. Unfortunately, the success we all dream of doesn't quite live up to the experience we imagined in our head. As a young and hungry entrepreneur, Jameson made some mistakes along the way including handing over the brand and its intellectual properties in order to take on a business partner to fund his in-store experience. As a result, he was eventually forced out of the venture he launched in his bedroom and had to take a back seat while others led the company without him. Although things didn't turn out the way he imagined, Jameson learned a lot of lessons along the way, detailing them in today's episode and a blog post on Medium he wrote entitled, My Story with Whiskey Grade, What Went Wrong and What Went Right. This episode is a little bit longer than our previous ones, but I'm hoping that by listening to Jameson's story, you can learn how to avoid similar mistakes in your own. This episode of The Transition is brought to us by the MetLife Foundation and their commitment to supporting veteran and military spouse entrepreneurs. In addition, the foundation also provides mentorship, financial health resources to veterans and military spouses transitioning into the workforce. And if you haven't subscribed to this show yet, please do me a favor and go ahead and hit that subscribe button. I'd also appreciate if you left us a review on iTunes and shared this show with other veterans and military spouses in your network. Like I've said previously, my goal is to impact 10,000 veteran entrepreneurs and military spouses, and I can't do it alone. So if you could help me get the word out, I'd greatly appreciate it. As always, I hope you enjoyed today's show and that it accelerates you on your own entrepreneur journey. Jameson, what is going on, man? Welcome to the platform. How you doing, Mike? Thank Dude. you. Dude, it's such a pleasure having you here, man. The man, the myth, the legend. Finally get to pull some of the Bunker Labs uh, staff from behind the curtain. 
Yeah, it's about time. Yeah. So, Jameson, a lot of people don't, uh, a lot of our listeners might not be familiar with you. So, how about you take a moment and introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, my name is Jameson Aveal. I am the current branding identity design director for Bunker Labs. Um, anything branding related with our logos, our programs on it, we handle. Um, so, I've been doing that for a while for Bunker. Branding identity. So I'm, I consider myself a brand strategist, right? But I didn't even really know what like brand identity and stuff was until, I don't know, probably like the last two years or so. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's imperative for your, for, for your business. And it's something that I feel like a lot of brands, um, start changing their identity. And then it's the identity crisis. You know, you, you can have that in your real life. You, you can have an identity crisis. Same thing happens to brands and businesses. So having someone maintain that I- identity through everything that you do is, is very important. And I, I told you this when it happened, y'all, I'm, I consider myself a Bunker Labs OG y'all. And by OG, I only been around since like 2017, but there have been people that have been here from the beginning. But I can tell you when Jameson took over that brand identity role, there was a noticeable change. And I remember sending you a message for it. And it was after the uh, Seattle event when I was just looking at the colors and everything. I feel like you leveled up the brand. Oh, thank you, man. Yeah, that was a that was a really um, significant time, I think, for me and a lot of individuals for the marketing team. But we had an event at the Starbucks HQ in Seattle. And um, I believe it was one of the C-suite executives from, from um, Starbucks. And they commented on how strong our brand identity was on stage during a, a, a talk. And I just remember sitting at that table like, holy crap, I just heard this from, <laughs> from a C-suite individual from Starbucks. I'm like, damn, you guys have a strong identity. But to hear it from them regarding Bunker Labs, that's huge. Yeah, just clean the colors, everything. I mean, just super professional. And it shows like what you can do when you bring talent on board, you know, whether you're a big corporation or you're a small venture, you know, this idea of just kind of leveling up and reaching that aspirational identity. And I feel like you definitely accomplished it. But for our listeners, listen, that one of the things about Jameson, though, is while he hosts his role within Bunker Labs, Jameson has a very unique, I don't even call it unique. He has a great story as an entrepreneur, like a background of some amazing stuff he's done. And I remember the first time we met Jameson, this was at the veterans and residents. It was like a video shoot. It for was. Yeah. We were doing, we were shooting the commercials uh, for WeWork veterans and residents very early on in yeah. New York city. And yeah. you're just kind of, you know, how you, when you meet people in person, it's great to kind of put, you know, faces to names that you meet within the bunker lab ecosystem. But I remember me and you met and then, you know, we were talking. I was like, oh, well, tell me about your background. You're like, oh, yeah, I started this company called Whiskey Grade. Then I see all like the retail stores and everything. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, <laughs> yeah. how did you go from that to, you know, kind of where you're at now? And then, um, you know, now you've got this founded agency. So he's got a lot going on. I want you to just I don't want to butcher it, Jameson. Tell everybody else what else you got going on outside of the Bunker Labs. You know, outside of Bunker, it's 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 still founded um, as an agency, and I have had my head down in the Bunker Labs world for quite a while, um, mostly because I've been so passionate about helping to support other businesses. It's always really been like that for the past five, six years. I've always focused on wanting to help other brands, but when I 
first found Bunker Labs, I was like, holy crap, I can actually help support this niche market of veterans. And being a veteran yourself, it made it more of a passion for me. Yeah, no. And uh, I can definitely feel that energy with you even when I start, you know, coming into the ecosystem. But you mentioned founded as an agency. Can you tell our listeners what it is? Yeah. So um, I guess this goes back to the story timeline here, and we're probably going to have to get into it. But fast forward to founded. Um, Founded is actually an an agency that helps support USA-made brands. So that was my niche market at the time when I started it. Um, I had a lot of connections through the e-commerce space and prior to having my own store where I made all these connections with USA made companies. And when I started an agency, it was to help support them through content creation, commercials, social media, um, pretty much everything that you would be seeing out of a, a bigger company like Carhartt or Levi's, you know, all these USA made based companies. Where did that come from in you? You know, because you're, you're, you're Hawaiian, right? Yeah. I am Hawaiian. Yeah. I grew up in Hawaii. I lived in Boston, kind of lived all over the place. Um, I have always been a supporter of just really well-made product in general, not just clothing. And I think that when I was um, looking at starting e-commerce, I was just genuinely interested in USA made product because of the quality, because of where they manufacture their goods. And even in the military, you know, when I would buy gear, I would always focus on companies that, although you you were kind of set with government issued equipment, some of the things that you can get away with, like boots, for instance, or, you know, the things that were actually um, qualified to wear under the uniform code, it was like, USA made. I always look at that. I'm like, who, where can I look at this quality? Cause when you're beating stuff up in the field, that stuff falls apart real fast. So I, I translated that into the world of, um, goods and accessories and products, just everything that I bought. It was just a, an actual, um, passion that I had of just consuming these like really well-made products. For our listeners to give you a, a understanding of like the kind of stuff he's talking about, if you've ever gone to like a maker's event, right, you know, like the little pop up marketplaces and you see the guys making the leather or they have their own knives or they've got their homemade, you know, um, bombs, you know, like beard creams yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Like that's the kind of stuff he's talking about. And it's super dope when if you ever get a chance to see it, which I highly encourage. Yeah. And, and there's just a level of more intimacy with the company, knowing that they're making these things by hand in a garage or a little studio or whatever. And, and knowing that it's like made with intent, that's always the the biggest thing. Um, and so that's why when I was going from my store to, to the agency, it's like, let's continue focusing on these companies that make stuff with intent and um, help support them and build them up because those are the ones that really need to be in the spotlight. Absolutely. And so one of the reasons I, I want to get Jameson on is Jameson wrote a blog post on Medium uh, a few years back about his story of founding this company called Whiskey Grade, which I'm going to let him get into, which came before founded. And I had already read the blog post before, but I gave it a second run. And this time I gave it like, I don't know, sometimes you experience content differently, you know, like three years ago versus now when I'm in the hustle. And I read this and I was like, James, I got to get you on the podcast to talk about this. 
um, because I feel like a lot of our listeners could benefit from it. So before we, um, you know, do a deep dive on your story of whiskey grade, I want you currently, if you mind sharing with our listeners, you know, taking off your armor and sharing with them something you're struggling with, whether personally or professionally. Yeah, I think professionally, personally, they're both because when you're passionate about something that you're doing, it becomes more of a personal thing. But, you know, dropping off my armor, it's been hard to want to focus on the agency um, and brands outside of Bunker. Although those are two separate things that tie directly into each other, more focus on programming, I still have that passion for branding and art and identity that I feel like sometimes I can't get to with the amount of work. But ultimately what it comes down to is the mission still the same in the long run between what I do and what Bunker Labs does. So that's why I've actually been with Bunker for as long as I have. Um, but I would say that my my thing that I'm feeling is watching all of these companies scale up their business to a certain point and trying to balance the work life, bunker life and founded together. That's extremely challenging. Um, not to mention, I think growing up in the entrepreneur space, um, coming up from the retail world, from getting into an agency, I still experience the same thing, you know, being a brown entrepreneur, that that's a challenge. That's a challenge being in front of investors or being front. And I have part of that story we can talk about, but it has been a challenge being a brown entrepreneur. I can tell you that. Man, I appreciate you sharing that with us and completely understand, you know, I have my nonprofit arm, Ironbound Box, and the kids are practicing right now, you know, and I'm here doing these podcasts, but it's also going back to, you know, Damn, man, we just want to make impact. <laughs> you ultimately you know? just want to do something that that's simple to the mission, right? It's like just impact. That's what I want to do. But you're right. When you're in an entrepreneur hustle, it's hard to not it's hard not to like get addicted to it. You know what I mean? That's right. That's right. And we can see why people want to be serial entrepreneurs. Like I get it now. Yep. <laughs> there for life. All right. Before we hear Jameson's deep dive, I want to go ahead and give a shout out to Bunker Labs, a national network of veteran and military spouse entrepreneurs dedicated to helping the military connect community start their own businesses. We're committed to seeing that every entrepreneur in the military connect community has the network tools and resources they need to start their own business. 25% of transitioning service members want to start a business and they need places inside their community where they can connect with the people, resources, and support they need. We're here for them. You can learn more by visiting www.bunkerlabs.org. You should also register at Bunker Online, our social network for the Military Connect community, where Bunker Lab staff helps make connections to increase your opportunities. You can register today by clicking the excuse me. You can register today by clicking the connect button at bunkerlabs.org. Jameson, tell us how you actually got connected with Bunker Labs. Sure. Yeah. So uh, like a lot of these entrepreneurs, I've got connected to Bunker Labs through another veteran friend. And that relationship goes a lot deeper. I actually was helping him develop his brand in, in ways that I could. Um, he had a carry goods company. So he designed backpacks and smaller packs and whatnot. He was in the Marine Corps. Um, we got connected because I was able to help with designs and marketing and content for him. 
um, he had a really cool experience building that company. And at that time, he shifted his priorities into building Bunker Labs Minneapolis. This is probably late 2016. Um, at the time, he was like, who do I know to help bring community together and help me put together this thing in Minneapolis? And he thought of me. And so he gave me a call. He told me the mission. I was like, I'm in. I'm, I'm all for helping to support veteran entrepreneurs. And we just did that. We did it in Minneapolis and we started scaling and I'm, I'm still here <laughs> with at an HQ, HQ level now. But yeah, I found it through another veteran. Who was that and what year was that? His name is Tim O'Neill and that was late 2016. Um, Tim O'Neill is, uh, became a friend of mine after we had worked on that Carry Goods brand together. And his company was called Fidelis Co. Yeah. And for those who don't know, Tim O'Neill was a former COO of Bunker Labs. That's right. And now uh, he actually uh, left because he wanted to pursue his own uh, entrepreneurship through acquisition. So I think we'll be able to get him on eventually to kind of tell his story about actually bringing that to life. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be awesome. So, Jameson, talk to us about your journey from the military into entrepreneurship. Take it back for us and how it all started. Oh, man. Yeah. There, there's going to be – this is a roller coaster of things, but I'm, I'm excited to talk about it. Um, joined in 07 and probably late 06, 07. You know, I, I was an infantryman, enlisted. U.S. Army, uh, paratrooper, you know, airborne school, stationed in Kentucky. I I went through that service. Um, I was always pretty passionate about the military growing up. My mother was actually in the Army, too. Usually you hear it's like your father, your grandfather. My mother was in the Army, and um, so she taught us a lot of, a lot of good traits growing up um, as a single mom growing up with her you know, and really love the thought of the military. I was trying to figure out what I actually wanted to do when I was 13, 14, 15 years old. I'm like young kid, all the MOSs were going through my mind. I wanted to be a pilot. I wanted to do this and that. But when it came down to it in high school, you know, I was a artsy kid in high school. Um, I, my first priority when I was a senior was – let me just apply to this art school and see if I get accepted in and I'll, I'll, I'll start pursuing art before I get into the whole military thing. I applied, I got accepted with my portfolio. Um, the tuition, you know, I didn't, I didn't grow up with a background in having money. My mother was, like I said, she was a single mom. So I looked at the tuition. I'm like, I cannot afford this. I'm going to be in debt. Um, she, you know, Obviously, she wasn't unable or she was unable to help support that. So I was like, I'm just going to go in the military. This is my best effort here. Um, went through it. I really wanted to utilize a GI Bill. So I went to school, to back to that school that I actually applied for. Um, four years later, you know, I kind of had a different sense of what I wanted to do through that art school. So I took visual arts um, and and then actually got into architecture. But around that time, after I got my degree, I um, found a job as a mechanical engineer for an aerospace company. They were actually looking for someone with a skill set in, in my background of software. And um, same software that we use for as an architect. 
you know, I, I was working there and I was sitting in a cubicle nine to five. I had that nine to five job and I just could not get over the fact that I was sitting in a cubicle working for this corporate company and not doing, feeling like I'm doing anything for myself. Um, and so I would be sitting in there, I'd have a docket of work. I would just plow through that work in like a matter of three hours. And I would utilize probably shouldn't be talking about this, but I'd utilize that time to build my business in that cubicle. I just, I remember I'm like, what do I need to do? What do I want to do? Um, and at the time I really wanted to just talk about other small businesses or bigger businesses in the USA made space. So I actually developed an editorial website, um, which it was, I went from zero followers to it going viral at the time. This is probably 2013, partially because I was promoting product and they were, we were, they were starting to see that through their SEO chain, through Google analytics or like, okay, this guy just posted an article. I would tag the crap out of them. I would just try to get them to notice my blog. And I remember there was this one particular time that a a company, um, they saw that I was tagging their stuff and they reposted it. And from there, it just started to snowball. It was a a company that was already highly established. um, And it, it just started bringing followers to my, to my editorial. Um, and so from there, uh, there was a company that reached out to me and they wanted me to help them work as a brand development person. This was a company called Everlane and Everlane, for those of you who are not familiar, they are a sustainable e-commerce company. But back in those days, they were actually not a sustainable e-commerce company. They were just collecting data. What they would do is they curated this site that just infinitely scrolls and it had this product. It would have a, a black leather briefcase or it'd have some shoes and people could just simply like it. And what they did with all of that data over time is they figured out what consumers actually wanted and they created a core product. And that was my job at the time. It was to curate those products for them so that they could have data driven decisions on what they were trying to sell. Um, and so with that and my editorial that I was running, a lot of things open up for me. I think more around the advertising space. I was able to take the the followers. I think I was, there was one point where I was at two to 3 million views a month on my site and just convert that to advertising revenue. Um, And I started to get into the point where I'm like, I can't work as an engineer nine to five in a cubicle and focus on this thing. I have to make a decision. And, uh, you know, I just, I took that leap. I, I quit my job. It was the scariest thing that I've ever felt because I went from having job security as a mechanical engineer, which gets paid a pretty decent amount. And you're 23 years old. Um, I went from that to making $0 and now sitting in a a cafe using their internet from like five, six in the morning, whenever they opened up till like eight at night. And these guys are like, do you guys have a, like, you have a life in here? (laughs) I'm like ordering coffee all day and like pastries and whatnot. Um, 
but that's what it what it came down to. I was so focused on making that thing work at the time. First of all, we call those people digital nomads. Everybody <laughs> made fun of them before the pandemic hit. Look at these people in here sucking up Wi-Fi. But then everything <laughs> went online. But the thing that is, um, talking about that experience of taking that leap. You right. Know, you said it was nerve-wracking. And I think a lot of people dream of doing it. You know, but I think they also have like illusions of what it really is, you know, that they're going to yeah. jump and like make the same salary they did, you know, right off the bat. That That's not the case at all. It really isn't. Um, but there are ways to set yourself up so that you don't fail. There are ways to make sure you have some sort of security beforehand. Like I, I made sure that I was at least getting a little bit of traction in the salary with a livable wage. But I was also, let's, let's keep in mind, I was 23 years old, wasn't married, didn't have kids. So I was only focused on, can I pay my rent every month? Um, so I made sure that that was happening. And then I just, you know, it went from having a, a decent salary to being able to buy the things that you, you like to having just pay rent. Um, and so it, it was challenging, man. It was scary. I lost a relationship out of it. I wasn't married, but I still, there was this like, we can't do <laughs> I've been there too. It happened to me. Just losing <laughs> a relationship. Yep. Um, so what, so what you were working for Everlane too? I like was, I was working for Everlane. So I was the third employee and this is actually a, a thing that I will be a good life lesson for, for me. I didn't stick with a startup that was scaling pretty significantly at the time. Um, because a lot of people, when they're in a startup, they're like, oh, this is so stressful. I'm doing a lot of these things. And when I can go to something that is a little more stable for me, but those startup spaces, like if they're scaling or they're, they have a good business development person, they've got a really good CEO with a mission, they're going to they're gonna scale up. And I dropped out to focus on my own thing. But if I had actually known that at the time, I probably would have sticked to Everlane to have some shares in the company because they scaled up like over a $100 million company now at this point. And they're, they're killing it. They're killing it. Wow. So how long did you stay with Everlane before you, you left to do your own? I was there for a little under a year. Um, and then I, I quickly transitioned to my own, into my own thing. But they actually were pretty supportive of what I was trying to do throughout the whole thing. So there were times where they were promoting on their channels what I was doing. And it's it's unlike companies to do that, but they were just like, we, we love that we work with creatives. We love that we work with these entrepreneurs and we're going to put them in the spotlight. And they did that. And it re- I think it really helped bring other companies out of the woodwork that would, that I would be normally cold calling they found, you know, it was like an awareness, brand awareness at the time. So you leave the full-time job working as a mechanical engineer to start working biz development with uh, Everlane, right? Yep. And then you leave Everlane to start working with another company, to start your own company. Start my own. So I always had that, but this was like full on, full force. Let's make this thing work. Um, and so I, I was just focused on bringing viewership to constantly promoting product. I went out and bought a cheap little camera and I was shooting products on my own. So it was in my own imagery. And I would talk about all the little details of the product and why I thought it made it quality. And I was actually honest to my consumers too. I was like, this product actually kind of sucks like this. And you see that on YouTube nowadays with 
a lot of these uh, tech guys that will review product, people find that interesting because they can read about a product before they need to buy into it themselves and get an honest review. Granted, it's all subjective, but for the most part, if there's someone that they feel like they have a similar lifestyle to or a similar interest, they look at that person as an influencer of product. And so that's exactly what I was doing. I was pushing out products left and right. Um, there was a point where there was companies that were sending me product to do reviews on. This is pre-influencer days. It wasn't just me on TikTok or me taking a photo on Instagram. This is like I had an editorial and I was posting these products and, and sharing the nitty gritty details of these things. Um, when I started scaling and my viewership was way up there, there was a point of time when a company reached out to me and this company is called Complex Media. They're actually based in New York City. So you might know them. But Complex Media, he just said, oh, this company called Complex Media. Like, like, <laughs> like we don't sit here and binge watch hot ones and all the other stuff. <laughs> yeah. Complex Media, you know, at the time, they were trying to buy up all of these editorial websites to basically have the monopoly of content in that world. So although people know might know Complex from a magazine, the hip hop magazine, the the hip hop company, they were actually buying a lot of different companies and websites or just, I wouldn't say buy them, but they were signing these companies onto their media company to push out advertising. And what was really nice about them, and this is a good lesson when you start working with partnerships, is find a company that stands by what you do and is actually passionate about what you're doing, not just someone that wants to make money off of it. And this happens with a lot of founders too. They'll find someone to partner up with, knowing that they'll they'll, they'll be able to sell their company to another thing. And um, that person's just not as passionate as you are. They have a different thing in mind. What I liked about Complex was that they were, all of the ads that they were trying to run on the site didn't make it feel like you were going to a site with a million pop-ups here and there. And it was just like, why are you putting a Toyota Corolla thing on my site when I'm talking about small businesses and USA made product? It just didn't make sense. These guys were like, we want to put companies that we feel like your consumers would, would buy into on your site. And it just made it feel cohesive with the brand. And that's why I really like doing that. So this was a paid partnership. So you actually start to earn. It's a paid revenue. partnership. That was when I started to earn revenue. That's right. Is that is that was that that feeling like you made it? That you're like, oh man, I'm a, I'm real now. I got complex media. Mark Echoes company. <laughs> no, I was still I still was grinding, man. Um, what was weird about the situation? This is actually kind of a funny story, but at the time, Complex Media they invited us to New York. So I was living in Boston at the time. I took the drive down, me and my close friend, he's a developer. He works for another company, but we, we drove down together and they were like, yeah, let's just have lunch. So I get to this address in New York city. We go up to this tall building. We get in this room. I meet this, I think she was the receptionist and she's like, here's some food, sit down at the table. We're eating. I'm like, cool. I get to like, just learn and talk to people at complex. This is awesome. Uh, so the lady goes, she comes in and she goes, are you ready? I'm like, what do you mean ready? Ready for what? She's like, ready to talk to some individuals. I'm like, oh yeah, that's what I came here for. We go in this room and there's probably 20 investors in this room 
or there's the, the big C-suite individuals from Complex. There's people, they had a screen up on the wall that had people that were like living in China. They had like all their offices and they've got their faces up on the camera. I'm like, what did I just get myself into? And they were, I mean, they were grilling me with questions in that thing. They were like, so tell us why you think you'd be a perfect fit for complex. I'm like, I thought you thought I was going to be a perfect fit. <laughs> like, what are we doing hey, you here? Guys, you guys reached out to me. Yeah. They, they reached out to me and um, I, I made it work. I, they basically wanted to know, to know the numbers of my viewership. They wanted to know like what I was ultimately trying to do with the business and, you know, talking to 20 something individuals, these corporate individuals as a 20, I think I was 24, 25 at the time. I'm like, I have no business doing this, but <laughs> I was, you know, it was like improvise and improvise and survive at that moment. It felt like. Were you, were you rocking jeans and your sleeve tattoos? Oh yeah, man. I was not dressed up for the occasion, but I think that they appreciated that it was, it was more me in real. And if I had done that again, I wouldn't have changed anything about that situation because I was vulnerable. I think they liked that. It didn't feel like I was going into this corporate meeting where I had to dress up and act a certain way. They were just like, I want to know real Jameson right now. And I love that. I, I love that. And so did you get the deal with Complex? Got the deal. Yeah, got the deal. So it was it was still back to the grind, you know, getting companies in there, re- doing tons of outreach with these companies to get their products on the site. I was starting to gain traction. I was gaining more viewership. Um, and so I kept doing that. And then I, I got to a weird point where I was like, I do like running editorial, but wouldn't it be cool to have my own e-commerce shop and sell the products that I'm talking about? So I initially wanted to do drop shipping. Um, I, I wanted to outreach these companies and say, Hey, is there a way to implement it? So if someone, I now have an article that I'm talking about the product. If they go to the bottom, they click buy and they can buy that thing and the experience of my site then and there. Is, can we make that work? And a lot of these companies were like, you know, you kind of have to get a wholesale account. You got to have a store. You got you to be official. Um, but I really wanted it to work. And for now, what I was doing was I was linking out to either their shop or a partner shop to buy the product. And those guys were like, thanks for the referrals. You, you guys are bringing me sales to our, our site. They loved that. Um, and then I, I had a weird pivot shift with the company. Um, what ended up happening was there was a magazine at the time. They were this motorcycle magazine. The investor of that company wanted to start an actual e-commerce store and he found my my site just organically how another consumer would find it. I think he was actually buying product from the the site at the time. But he's he wanted to partner up and and create an actual physical space. And the and the the question that he asked me was like, "Hey, listen, I don't want to get into the nitty-gritty of the the, the actual business part, but how would you like to turn your digital experience into a physical store that you can walk into and smell the product and breathe it and feel it and you curate all the product? And, and at the time, I was like, I would absolutely love to do that. 
Imagine being 24, 25, knowing that you're going to be walking into your own physical store with stuff that you are just passionate about talking about. Um, but I learned a lesson with that. I learned was it, a was it the moment he said, don't worry about the business stuff? We'll <laughs> yeah, I think that was the moment. Yeah, you got to watch out for that. But um, at that time, there was actually someone that I found as a mentor, and his name is Dave Morin. Dave Morin was actually the guy, when you go to a website and you click connect with your Facebook or sign in using your Facebook, he made that. That was that guy. And he ended up, he was early on in Facebook. He ended up moving away to create this company path. It was an old app, sort of similar to how Instagram is now. Um, I mean, this guy was selling his companies left and right. He's scaling, multi-million dollar guy. I found him as a mentor because at the time he was super passionate about USA made companies and he found my, my website and he's like, you know what you should do? You should turn your site into a media company. And I was, and I couldn't grasp that right away, but he's like, you would be so best fit in creating an agency that helps and we can help scale this thing. He said, we, as if like he was going to work with a couple other angel investors to do this thing at the time um i was like my mind was so on having a digital space and product that although i appreciated what he was saying i was so hasty in the decision to wait for that that moment of him to do that and put that together that i pulled the trigger on having a retail space and that meant that I was completely changing and shifting what my company could have been at the time into this now e-commerce, e-commerce in-store experience for my company. And had you named the company at this point? The company, so the editorial at the time was called Anchor Division. Um, the reason I named it Anchor Division at the time was, this is a Really weird story, but I was walking down the street, I think in Boston or something. I found this button on the ground. It had an anchor and it actually belonged to this old peacoat, like a, a Navy peacoat. I think uh, this company shot used to have a government contract to, to do all the old Navy peacoats that you see. You know, they'd wear them in Chicago, all these cold areas. And for me, I was like, this is so cool to see this little button belong to a product that companies actually made for the military. And then having got out of the military, I was so passionate in learning about the history of fashion from the military. So a lot of us don't really know that everything that we're wearing and rocking nowadays in some sort of way had some weird development tie into the military. I mean, even back in the civil war days, back like revolutionary war, all of the equipment, everything that you see, has some tie into the military nowadays. Like you get your rocking cargo pants, if you're rocking cargo pants or you're rocking these backpacks and carry goods and everything, it has some weird tie in the military. And through the product that I would post on my website, which would eventually lead to the e-commerce, it always had some weird tie in or inspiration in the military. So that was kind of the secret thing on how I curated a lot of product. I was like, is this something that has a back history to the military? Um, so that was actually anchor division. And then I rebranded to whiskey grid and the reason behind that name whiskey is such a universal alcohol. And what I liked about whiskey grid was that it represented all 
elements, all classes, the upper class, the middle class, the lower class, they all related to whiskey in some sort of way. So whether it was like the nitty gritty, you walking into old saloon and there's just people throwing up whiskey or you're at a, like a really classy event and they're drinking scotch or whatever. It, it was a representation of whiskey as a symbolic thing for having upscale clothing in, in lower class. It all tied into the same thing. So let's say a denim company at the time, you can buy $500 jeans. You could buy $800 jeans. You can also buy $30 jeans from Levi's. <laughs> and Levi's is a good representation of that nitty gritty class. But now we're starting to get into a world where denim is like $800. And you're like, why Why is it $800? Yeah, you used to go get Dickies, you know? <laughs> you get Dickies. $20, Dickies, all this stuff. Now it's like high class, like Supreme. Now it's high class. You got Supreme selling $800 pairs of jeans. Right. But if you look at the foundation of what a jean used to be, they made that during the gold rush era for Levi's. Like they, they invented that to be able to handle the rigorous, you know, in caves or in water and and not eat, eat away through your, 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 uh, clothing. So that was the main reason. It was invented by the lower class and now it's being thrown in the upper class as like $800 things. And um, when I worked for Everlane, what I really liked about them is they always talked about sustainability. The reason Everlane went so viral is because they actually used to attack upper class companies like Gucci. So they, they used the same factory for their clothing as Gucci did. The only difference was they had that little tag up at the top that said Gucci and they had one that said Everlane and Everlane was charging $30 for that cashmere sweater. Guess how much Gucci was charging? Like eight, six, $700, whatever it was. And so they actually made their marketing thing around. Why are you paying for, for this when you can get the same thing? We're in the same factory and they post pictures and eventually Gucci was like, yo, you need to stop this crap. Like, <laughs> but what, what became of that was brand awareness for them. And that's how they were able to really scale. It was almost like they took a chance. They were, they were doing something that was, I mean, it, it completely went against what you would normally do. Everyone's scared to go against those corporate companies or the bigger, the upper class companies, but they did it. And that's how they, they found brand awareness. So then you name your company. Whiskey grade. Whiskey grade. And I'll tell you, when I was searching Jameson and whiskey, it just kept coming up to the bottle. And then I was like, <laughs> oh, I'm the name wrong. But at yeah. first, I thought it was like, oh, maybe it's because of that, you know, Jameson and whiskey. But I like your story a lot better. All right. So now, yep. investor, this is a dream, right? Somebody's like, oh, yeah, we'll worry about the money thing later. Don't worry about that. But what does that look like? You know, what was this process like? Okay, we're going to take this digital store, we're going to make it, you know, bring it to life. You know, yeah. help us through that process. Oh man, we we hit the ground running. The second that I was like, yes, we signed a couple of things. At the time, what I initially signed was the name over because it wasn't I wasn't I wasn't signing the intellectual property at the time. I was signing the name so they could actually use that for the the physical space. I was just learning this stuff. I'm like, I probably should have got a lawyer at the time. I probably should have just like even talked to Dave Morin <laughs> as a yeah. as someone that sold a company before. But they're like, we're just going to buy your name. It's the website URL. We're going to completely start. Um, you're going to be the creative director. You're going to pick all the product that goes in the store. And so I'm like, this is great. Now my only role is to put 
these products in the store to help build out the store, had an architecture background. I'm like, I want this to look and feel like you're going to the website. I mean, it's got to be nitty gritty. It's got to have stuff that are, is relevant to the product in there. Um, so we helped do the build out and we opened a store in Cleveland, Ohio. So this is an interesting market. The thought of opening it in Cleveland, Cleveland, Ohio, the Midwest area was that if we could grasp the customers in the Midwest, then when we moved to like New York City or LA, it would be a lot easier for us to, to grasp those because the Midwest is actually harder to sell those higher end products because they want those $20, $20 dicky pants. They don't want $80 denim or some red wing boots. So we were like, let's focus on that market and try to tackle the most challenging market. And that's actually going to be what determines if we can open up in these bigger areas. Um, but the whole process was like me signing a, a freaking paper that I didn't even have a, a an or someone look at it, a mentor, a, a lawyer. And I was like, cool, this shows how much I'm making. This is how much they're going to sell the name for. By the way, thinking about it now, I under-evaluated myself tenfold. Like I probably could have just kept doing that myself and sold it later on or even took that media company um, thing and and sold it for much more. But for a 23, 24-year-old kid, you see you see like over anything over like 20K and you're like, oh, this is freaking awesome. I'm going to do this. Um, so it was under-evaluated. That's definitely a, dis, uh, a choice and a lesson that I learned not to have under-evaluate yourself and your company. Um, but yeah, we went through the process of building out that store. It took roughly three months. I went on a... Now, this is me learning of new roles. I never knew how to do um, product ordering, fulfillment. I never knew how to now get set up for wholesaling with companies. Never knew how to do product design. I was learning all of that. I was wearing so many different hats. And on top of that, I had to continue running the blog and the marketing perspective of the brand. So it was a lot. It was a lot of lessons learned there. When I first saw the Whiskey Grade thing, like I meet entrepreneurs all the time. They're like, yeah, I'm doing this. I'm doing that. I used to run this store. But again, when I pulled it up and saw yours, I was like, why are you here? <laughs> I'm like, I'm just pretending, you know what I mean? I was like, I'm still doing it. Like, you're a real entrepreneur. Yeah. <laughs> I'm here because the of the lessons I learned in my life. But yeah, uh, we opened we opened that store and I continued to select the product in it. We actually opened up another store in Denver, Colorado. And um at the time when I had initially sold the brand. I decided to move, pack everything up that I that I owned and move from Boston to Phoenix, Arizona. It wasn't even, I, I didn't even have it in mind. Like, I, uh, oh, Phoenix, Arizona. I'm just like, I'm just going from the humid East Coast, you know, to the desert. I just want to live, experience living in the desert for a little bit. So I packed up everything that I had. I moved to Phoenix. I was still running the the two stores. Um, and then we were looking at opening the LA store. I was in Phoenix and I'm like, all right, I'm close enough. I'll make the trek out there to LA. LA is a whole different ballpark. It's a whole monster, man. 
trying to open up a store in LA, the cost of rent, Compete. trying to find the right market. Competing with the Kardashians. Competing with, yeah, competing with Dash, their little store over there. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah man, I, it was a whole challenge. And we, we were able to, I guess, you know, put the money into rent for a few months there. We had to sign a year lease, but we were able to dump a couple months rent just to get us to a place and then start um, building out that store. Now, the one good thing that I think I had that a lot of entrepreneurs that I see nowadays don't have, and this is a good lesson too, is you got to build your following prior to building a brand like an e-commerce. Because one thing that I learned is that if you try to go out and create product, if you try to, you know, you want to start a t-shirt company and you build that beautiful e-commerce store, then you got to start focusing on your customers. And what I had done was I built a lifestyle and following prior to the product part. And then when I was putting product in the store, it was a lot easier to sell to them because they were already in that lifestyle world. Now, I'm not telling everyone to, to do an editorial, but at least have a good baseline of figuring out what that lifestyle you're going to appeal to is. So it's like when I grew up, a lot of kids were buying into PacSun or they're getting Abercrombie or they're buying whatever. I'm getting Dickies and I'm getting Levi's and shit like that. Um, that's finding your lifestyle. That's finding the stuff that you buy into. If you go into Nike, you go to Adidas. You got to find and develop what that thing is for you first. And that's this is part of the, the identity thing, right? Like branding and identity. You got to find what you want that lifestyle to be and to have like very laser targeted focus on that. Um, before you just put out product out there, you're like, all right, all right, the doors are open. People are going to come in and buy it. No, I don't think it's like that. You got to, you got to curate that lifestyle, build a lifestyle first. That's a great point. You're talking about building an audience too. You building know? an audience. Yeah. Building a super fans, people that buy from you, love from you, tell their friends about you, you know, uh, yep. nice thing about what you had done before. I call that your perfect customer. You already knew where they spent their time. You knew what other blogs they were following. You knew where they were shopping. You know, right. you the groups they were a part of. And so you were, we you know when you threw up the whiskey grade branding, it was dog whistle branding. Y'all blew that whistle and they came, you know, they came running. That's now, right. Yeah. One and it th- didn't go ahead. No, you first. I was going to say it didn't always start with whiskey grade product. So like I said before, when I was focusing on, on other people's products and when we curated the store, the whole thing was filled with other people's products. And this was my next stepping stone. I was like, okay, I need to make my own stuff. And I, when we did open the store, I introduced a couple pieces. But I'm like, I want to get to a point where everything in here is whiskey-grade product. And, and you know, some of the stuff is just accenting the, the pieces. So I was never going to get into making helmets, you know, or I was never going to ma- get into making boots. But... I'd be getting into making denim or I'd be getting into making shirting or whatever else it is. So, you know, at that time I was focusing on other people's products and I got to a point where I really wanted to make my own stuff. And that was when we went to the next step. 
And so I learned about everything that people liked through buying product in my store and e-commerce for me to figure out what I was going to ultimately produce myself. It was very much like the Everlane experience. They, they were very data-driven and learned about their consumer before they even made one singular product. So one of the things I'm going to ask you, you said, you know, you guys were opening these stores. Where was the money coming from? Was it one investor just funding everything? Did you have to go into your savings? I mean, no, 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 no. So initially the store, it was with help from that guy. But I would say that the majority of the money was actually coming from our e-commerce thing. So like I said, I still had the e-commerce thing running up there with some drop shipping. And we had all these other customers and we had the advertising happening. So that was actually what was funding my rent for the store every month. Um, And I actually started to learn the power of a digital presence at that point of time because e-commerce shops more relevant today than ever. Um, And I do have an opinion about in-person stores. It's just weird COVID time. But I think that having that e-commerce digital space first and then going into a physical space made it a lot easier because we are still generating revenue on the digital side. It was almost like we we generated more revenue on the digital side than we did in person. Having a store was more of a brand um, legitimacy. It was like, hey, this is a real legit thing. This is like a real brand. It's not just an e-commerce brand. I can actually go to that store and shop. Um, and for me to be able to pay the rent with the digital made it, it was, it was brand presence at that point. Yeah. That's called social proof. And the other thing you mentioned is this is this transformation we're seeing now It's called digital natives, you know, which means their first, this generation that's coming up, even some of us now, our first experience with things are digital. You know, it's like, before we go out to eat, we'll look at the restaurant on Instagram and see Mm -hmm. how the food looks. And then we'll go eat in the restaurant, you know, and you were just kind of ahead of the curve on that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I have opinions on physical store. I think it's still important to have a physical space again, to go back to that social um, thing. It's like, you want to go in and you want to feel things and you want to experience it. You want to smell it. It's been hard with COVID, but I still think that there's an importance to go back full circle again and get back to that in person um, as a cool, I think, I think the future of retail is more experiential marketing per se. It's like you go in there and you have an experience and not just to buy the product. I think we're getting to that weird place. And it kind of reminds me of like a futuristic movie where you go, you go to some places, people talk, there's, there's screens, there's holographs, there's all this stuff. But that's ultimately, I think where we're going to shift in the future with retail is everyone's buying online. That's just the, the, everyone's on Amazon. Everyone's getting uh, ads on, on Instagram every time they go on Instagram, they're purchasing stuff. But I think that they still want to make it a thing to go out and have an experience. So a lot of these stores actually do this thing where they don't put a lot of their product in the store, but they'll build out some really cool thing to go and take pictures of and experience. Um, we're going down that path when things start opening again. I believe it. Yeah. Um, and I know what you're talking about, this experiential retail, you know, places like Citizen Supply in Atlanta, you know, yep. um, there's just so much you can do. But I want to get back to let's, talking about whiskey grade. 
Now, yeah. in your blog post, you know, things start to go south after a while. Get us up to speed on, on that and why that Oh, happened. yeah, yeah. So here, here's another lesson learned. Um, signing your company over. When I signed the company over, I was essentially the founder. But we now had this CEO of a company. He had the new visions. And with that, um, I started to lose my own personal vision of the brand through his visions. And I, it, at that point... I didn't really have a say in it. He had ownership. So we started to see that product was changing in store. And I actually was starting to hear from customers like, hey, what's going on here? Like they knew me for the brand. It was like my old face attached to the brand. And it almost felt like I had to defend myself constantly where I was like, I'm not doing that. I'm not putting that in there. That, was, that wasn't me. Yeah, um, why, are there, why are there sundresses in the leather jacket? <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, what I, what I learned is that the CEO actually signed the final paperwork, signed it over to his wife. So he bought it and then signed it to his wife. And it was kind of like his present to his wife. Now I'm not knocking on anyone here, but a lot of the vision that I had for the brand started to change when I think there was product in there that was starting to confuse people. And a lot of that product was like stuff that you'll find at like forever 21. It was this like really cheaper clothing, not it completely went against me having USA made high quality goods in that store. We started to get stuff that was like ripping and tearing and, and it was just something that really was out of my control at that point. Um, and it was sad to see because you come from a founder perspective, you have this vision, you have, you're the face of the brand, you live and breathe the brand. And now it's, it, it's in someone else's hands. Um, now had I had sold the company to someone that was as passionate as I was about it, it would have been a much different experience. That person would have still continued on the legacy of the brand. But, you know, th- that's actually very common. Things change with new ownership. Um, but I think it changed so significantly that it completely started to drop the viewership of the brand. It started to tank on e-commerce sales. A new de- demographic was coming in. Um, it's just, it was a strange time. And I think at that point is when I really wanted to go back to the core of why I even started this whole thing. It was to focus on brands that I was passionate about. So I did that for a little bit. I was trying to, you know, deal with what was happening and and talk to to customers and reassure them that we're still focused on these goods, but every single season, it was something new and it was confusing people. So at that point, I'm like, Hey, you know, I need to move away from this thing again, starting from scratch. This is like entrepreneurship again, starting over, um, wanted to go back to the core focus of why I started it. And that's where founded really came about at that point. But man, it was, it was a journey through that. It was, I had to move <laughs> some of the things was like, I had to move factories from Tennessee to LA distribution. Did you, oh, cry? Did you cry a little bit? Nope. <laughs> yeah. I, cr- I definitely cried a little bit. <laughs> punch, punch the air shadow box in there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, don't man. Act like don't act like y'all aren't doing it. We've all done it. We've all done it. We have all done it. What, um, we all learned. 
So when you when you decided to leave, was that your decision or was that kind of a, a team decision? And then that you had a lot of the revenue coming from the on-site online traffic. Did, was that a factor too? I mean, how did they recover from that? Yeah, um, I decided I ultimately wanted to to move away from it, but I wanted to do it strategically in, in the way that it wasn't just me saying, peace, I'm out. Um, I still wanted to to create some final products and it was kind of my legacy of products. And I still have those things sitting in my closet. It's still something that I talk about. Um, but I ultimately wanted to move on from it and let them kind of do whatever they needed to do with the vision. It was hard to give that, give that whole thing up. It was something that you built. It was like memories of me sitting in the complex office with me and my friend. It was all those little things. Um, and then as far as the e-commerce sales and stuff, they were already starting to, to tank. So that was scary enough. Um, we had staff in stores. We were looking at the rent that it cost in LA. So we were getting to the point where we're like, we can't even, we can't afford this LA rent. We're going to have to scale it back. We're going to have to keep Denver, keep Ohio and focus on e-commerce. Um and that, you know, you know, at that point I was like, I, I want to be able to help other, other businesses and brands. And this is what, this wasn't what I signed up for, <laughs> you know, selling this company. Do you feel like you failed? In a way? Yeah. Yeah. Cause I feel like you put so much time into the company. You put three, four, five years into a company. You see all those milestones come up. And then when you sell a, a company, and see it completely change. You, yeah, there's a level of failure there. Definitely. You know, it's this, um, something we don't talk as much about as entrepreneurs is what does winning look like? You know, yeah. some of us, we think we want to be the next, you know, Facebook or Spotify and build these great massive companies. Everybody tells us how great we are. And I feel like, you know, hearing your story is like you were living the dream that, you know, 99% entrepreneurs want is to build something to have a brand, to have other people see it. And then you had to start over from the beginning. Start over again. Yeah. You've that already, was disheartening. Yeah. Yeah. You've already done that entrepreneur life cycle. And so like, what are the lessons you've learned, you know, from the courage of failing forward? Yeah. I think ultimately just my big, my biggest things, and I talk about this in the article, but you as a person are attached to your brand and you maintain that vision for your company and it can change over time, but you are the, the keeper, the gatekeeper of this vision. And I think that when you lose that, that vision, whether it means that you sign it over to a different CEO, uh, a different founder, you get a co-founder that might, you guys might clash on a vision, but when you start to lose that, that's when you start to see the brand and even the customers and consumers, they notice it. They know. They feel it. I mean, they can feel product. They can feel your vision and design through what you do. And they knew. Um, so I'd say like maintaining that vision. Um, another lesson that I talk about is how content is is like the most effective strategy for a brand. And it's it's anything that pertains to your brand. It's just putting something out there in the world that for people to see constantly. Because I think that if 
it just brings brand awareness. It, it, it starts to put your vision through that content that you're putting out. So if you have um, a shoe company, you know, you, you, you're putting out constant content on why your shoes differ from others in an honest way, constantly talking about that. I think a lot of entrepreneurs as well, it, they, they get very overwhelmed knowing that people aren't going to see their stuff and that they're doing things for no reason. But that's not always the case. It's, it's, it's the repetition and consistency that actually brings eyeballs to it. When you start, when you lose consistency of something, what I did every day sitting at a, a cafe was I was like, I'm going to do six posts, six to eight posts a day, period. Saturday, Sunday, I'm still doing it. I'm going to do that. And I did it knowing that there probably wasn't anyone looking at it. That was what's in, what, what was in my mind, but that wasn't reality of it. Because when I was consistently putting out content, it was being seen by someone in the world that shares the same interest as you. You're not the only person in the world that shares one interest. That's impossible. So I started to see that and it, it started to build up. That's just how it always, it always works. You just start getting a few people at a time. Go out and tell your friends. Your friends are your biggest supporters. Your family is always going to be your f- biggest supporters. It's word of mouth. It, it gets out there. But, um, you know, if you're ever going to sell a company, this is another lesson I learned. If you're ever going to sell a company, really look at who's buying the company and see if they really ultimately share the same the same passions as you and they'll continue on that legacy. I mean, there's actually some people that just want to get acquired and make money and, and peace out. And then the, the company fizzles out. That that's common. But I think if you're if you're looking to sell the company and have some sort of name out in the world, something that is bettering someone's lives, sell it to someone that that is passionate like you are. Um, and that, and then, and then mentorship. I think if I had had this, if I had had mentors or even a network like we have now with bunker, if I had a bunker back in 2013, if that, if bunker was around 2013, I wouldn't have made half of the mistakes I did. I still would have, but I think I would have more people to talk to about it and converse with, I'd be in a channel talking with another e-commerce company and say like, what, what, what went wrong when you did this thing? Um, and I'd be more cautious about making mistakes. One of the things though, and why I'm going to title this episode, the courage of felon Ford," is because at every point, right? It took courage to make that next step, whether go work with Com- complex or take advantage of this guy who says, Hey, let's build out a store, you know? Yeah. And there was no guarantee. You know, a lot of times, we are privileged. We're the privileged few because we're on the other side of the veil. We know how the sausage is getting made, right? It's the wisdom mm-hmm. of Oz. People are, you know, one guy's there pulling a bunch of strings. <laughs> but on the other side of it is there are people watch, listening, watching entrepreneurs, whatever, and they don't necessarily know this or they have yet to embrace it. But to be in the experience of it and have to make decisions without knowing what the outcome is going to be, that took courage. Right. And then courage to take those lessons and keep moving forward instead of just like you like you basically climbed Mount Everest and then you got to the top, almost to the top. and You had to go back down and kind Mm -hmm. of start over and be okay with that, you know, and the courage. That's another thing. 
being courageous. Yeah, persistence too. Persistence. I mean, like knowing that you can't fail. That's that's a big part of the military entrepreneurship thing too. Is a lot of people are just they don't accept failure as an option. They will keep going and keep going. And I think that's what sets us apart from a lot of other entrepreneurs is that we are willing to take the risk and and also fail and keep going after our failure because it's a lesson learned and continue doing that. Um, and that's that's something that I I have learned. And it's nice to be able to talk to people that are in that that world and provide any sort of valuable information with what they're doing um, from my failure. You know, I think a lot of our community and, and just community in general, just uh, they value learning about those failures more so than the success stories. Before I let you go, Jameson, you got a yeah. bunch of early stage veterans yeah. and military spouse, small business owners, startup CEOs, what are the final thoughts you want to leave them with or closing remarks? Find your identity. Um, identity is, is the strongest thing that you'll have with anything. It's like, it can be service. It can be product, it can be whatever it is, but write that thing down and look at it every single day and then translate that into whatever you're trying to do. So if it's a product, like read that identity, this is who I am. This is what I want. This is what, I ultimately want our product to be. And just look at that. You know, I had that thing written in my journal right at the beginning. And I would always look at that and say, I want to focus on USA made brands and quality product. It's all it was written. <laughs> I look at it. When I go and look at a product, when I go to feature a product, I'd look at that and it's like, do they meet this, this identity? I mean, when I came on with, with bunker, it's like, this is our mission are we doing this thing right now? You start to lose that identity. You start to really go sour in a, in a business. It does. Identity is the most, um, it, it's, it's at its most basic, but it's also universal for whatever stage of your company you're in. You could be as a CEO of, of Starbucks and you start losing your identity. What happens to that company? Then, Pete's coffee rises to the top, you know? So um, that has always been something that I talk with companies about through the, through the agency is like, we, we will learn about their vision and write that down and, and start putting that into their brand identity and building it, learning about their story, learning about why they started it, what, what they're trying to solve for the, for their customers. There's always a problem and a solution. So within that problem and solution, there's that identity of who you are and what you're, why you're doing it. Um, so that's a takeaway. It's like that just develop it and, and keep it consistent. Make sure it's part of you as a, as a person and founder. Jameson, man, I appreciate you coming on the platform, dropping these words of wisdom to our listeners. Where can people follow you at? So, uh, Bunker Labs, of course. <laughs> I am in Bunker Online. You can just search me in Jameson. Um, my, my agency is founded.la. And I am in the process of actually revamping the entire thing. But you can still go there to, to reach out. 
Um, but I am in the bunker ecosystem. I'm always here. I'm always available. Yeah. I'm hoping I get Jameson to come back on and we'll do an office hour session where he can give us a framework for some brand identity. You know, there'll be less interview and just more of us just kind of teaching you all out there about how to execute on this. Cause as you're talking, I'm listening to Ironbound. You know, <laughs> like, man, we as a boxing gym. Now we're doing an incubator and James is talking about losing your identity. And I'm like, Oh man, you're hitting me in the fields, Jameson. <laughs> <laughs> Love to have that. Love to do the office hours. But for our listeners out there, hope you enjoyed today's show. And you're part of the bunker. If you're a listener, you're part of the bunker. All right. You are the bunker. And I need you to subscribe to this show on iTunes, Spotify, or whatever listening service you're using today. We'd greatly appreciate if you left us a review and shared this podcast with someone in your network who you feel can benefit from the information. You want to get plugged into the Bunker Lab ecosystem? Visit www.bunkerlabs.org. Select the city, city nearest to you. Sign up for the local newsletter and attend one of our networking events. It's that simple. From there, be sure to get connected at Bunker Online, where you can learn about our many different programs to support your entrepreneurial journey. We have programs that will take you from idea to invoice, incubate you, and position you to grow alongside other founders and CEOs. Register today by clicking by clicking connect at BunkerLabs.org. Jameson, thanks again for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Until sure. next time, everyone, peace, love, and have a great rest of your week. <laughs>